The book of Mark, chapter 4, verses 1 through 20. Let us read and hear the word of the Lord. Again he began teaching beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables. And in his teaching, he said to them, listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. And seed fell on rocky ground, where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up, since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched. And since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no gain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside, everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see, but not perceive, and may indeed hear, but do not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, do you not understand this parable? How, how then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the, sword, the sower sows the word, and these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy and they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then, when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit, thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. This is the word of the Lord. I want to start this morning by making a few comments about the passage, uh, the meditation passage that I chose for this week's message. Uh, it's printed in your bulletins on the inside of the first page. Isaiah chapter 55, verses 10 and 11. These verses capture the heart of not only our text in Mark chapter 4 this morning, but also the very nature of God's word in general. This text, along with the passage that we'll be looking at in Mark chapter 4, explains the nature of God's word even more specifically, the effectual nature of God's word. 
God's word, the entirety of scripture, has an effect on everything. God's word is the means that change happens. God speaks and things are affected. It is God's word that does the changing. This could be a sermon in itself, but we see this truth or doctrine explicitly stated in Isaiah chapter 55, verse 11. God's word goes out and it does not return empty. More than this, it shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. Did you hear it? God's word accomplishes and always completely succeeds in God's purpose for it. There is never a time that God speaks and something is not affected. This reality is seen in the first few chapters of Genesis, and God said, and there was. Or when Jesus says to Lazarus, come forth, and he walks out of the grave. God's word is effective. When God says, let there be light, there is light. And we're going to see this truth as God's word is both revealed and concealed in God's use of the parables. And this is precisely God's intent. As we have already heard uh, the text read, we need eyes to see God's word rightly. We need ears to hear that cause us to respond appropriately to God's word. So let's pray and ask that God would reveal himself to us in this text. Father, we were all dead in our trespasses and sins, but you made us alive together with Christ. This was not our own doing. This was a gift from you. We need our eyes and the eyes of our hearts enlightened to your word this morning. We want to be moved from one degree of glory to another. But Father, as we just read, at first hearing, we don't have the spiritual ears and eyes and hearts that are needed. But thanks be to Christ, he has given us the secret of the kingdom. Be with us now. Stir in our hearts. Cause us to have soil that produces a bountiful crop. So we lift up this time in your word to you in Jesus' name. Amen. I hope you're ready for another Markin sandwich. For those of you that were not here last time, I, I, I preached, I spent some time unpacking a, a literary feature from the Gospel of Mark that we find. Um, Mark does this sort of sandwich thing nine times where he frames a teaching with a narrative. To be more precise, Mark begins a narrative or a scene in his Gospel and interrupts it with a teaching and then concludes the narrative. Mark uses one scene or narrative to frame a precise point of teaching. This is why we call them a Mark and Sandwich because you have two sections that are related or holding up or framing a particular teaching. And it's through this framework that Mark is highlighting a particular teaching or reality of Christ that we need to see. It's a way of exemplifying if you will, or causing a focus for us to be. 
The Gospel of Mark opens with the claim that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So I would argue that everything in the Gospel of Mark is holding up this confession. The truth of this reality will be concealed for some readers and revealed to some readers, just as it was for those who encountered Christ in his earthly ministry. This, I believe, is the purpose of the parables. It is what Jesus meant when he tells his disciples in this text that the secret of the kingdom of God has been revealed to them. In essence, the secret of the kingdom of God is tied to Christ. And if I can be even more precise, the secret of the kingdom of God is revealed through the person and work of Christ. And if I can be even more precise, as it relates to the gospel of Mark, the secret of the kingdom of God is revealed through Jesus Christ, who is the Son of God, the Messiah, the suffering servant who would die for the sins of his people. There's three sections to our passage this morning, as we would expect with a sandwich. Uh, the first section will include verses 1 through 9. This is just an outline to the passage itself. I'll give you the three questions we're going to answer here in a minute. So the first section of our passage is included in verses 1 through 9. The second section includes verses 10 through 12. And the third section in our passage includes verses 13 through 20. So as I mentioned, this is a Markin sandwich, which means that sections 1 and 3 provide a framework for us to understand the middle or second section. We're meant to understand the teaching of verses uh, 10 through 12 through the lens and narrative of Jesus telling and interpreting the parables of the, sower, the parable of the sower. And it's for this reason I've titled the sermon, The Secret of the Kingdom. Because this parable and the teaching is framed by this parable relates to all the other parables we find in this gospel. How we understand this parable is going to be the key that will unlock the other parables and unlock the answer to the question, who belongs to the kingdom? Because Mark, the gospel writer, likes threes, I'm going to structure this sermon around three questions that I believe this parable and Mark's sandwich answers. So if you're taking notes, here are the three questions. What is the purpose of parables? That would be the first question we seek to answer. The second, what is this parable teaching? And the third, what is the secret of the kingdom of God? So as we begin to answer the first question, what is the purpose of parables, I think it'd be best to define a parable first. For those that grew up in the church, um, this was the definition for me. Maybe this doesn't sit with you, but for those of us that grew up in the church, how many of us were taught that parables were an earthly story with a heavenly meaning? Well, this is not completely wrong. But I'd like to uh, offer a fuller uh, definition. Uh, John MacArthur defines parables this way. A parable is an ingeniously simple word picture illuminating a profound spiritual lesson. We're going to see from Jesus' use of Isaiah 6, the profound spiritual lesson. And even though Jesus is talking about the things of men, he is pointing to 
things of God, spiritual things that can only be revealed by God. Parables are often very basic word pictures or realities that everyone can understand or relate to at some level. But their ultimate purpose is not to enhance a story or to illumine a preaching point for Christ. The purpose of parables is far more theological. And I'd like to add to John MacArthur uh, and his definition by defining parables for us uh, through the lens of Mark this way. Parables are simple word pictures or analogies that reveal and conceal profound spiritual realities of God's kingdom. I'll give, the, I'll give that to you one more time. Parables are simple word pictures or analogies that reveal and conceal profound spiritual realities of God's kingdom. Let me try to show you this in the text. Look at uh, verses 11 and 12 of Mark chapter 4. And he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside, everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see but not perceive, and may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. When we see language in the scriptures like so that or in order that, we should understand these as purpose statements. So this is great news. <laughs> we have it in verses 11 and 12, just as I read. The purpose, however, though, is not particularly clear at its first read. And some of your Bibles might not even call out that this is a quote from the book of Isaiah chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. Unpacking Mark's use of Isaiah 6 could be a sermon in itself, but let me point out a few things from Isaiah 6 that should help us understand what Jesus is saying in Mark's gospel about the purpose of parables. Isaiah, uh, Isaiah chapter 6 is about Isaiah's vision of the Lord seated on his throne. It is a glorious vision of God's holiness and his authority over all the earth. And as Isaiah is caught up in this vision of God and being in his presence, he realizes he has no business being in God's presence because he's a sinner and so were the people that, were, that he was in the midst of. Isaiah felt the weight of sin, his sin, and the sins of his people. Isaiah says, woe is me. Isaiah knows that he is a sinner and simply being in God's presence and hearing his voice, he knows he is ruined as he pronounced this, ju his, this judgment about his own condition. A sinner in the presence of a holy God requires judgment, which is why Isaiah pronounces judgment on himself. Woe is me. How does God respond to Isaiah, a sinner in his presence? The Lord provided atonement for him. He took away his guilt and his sin was atoned for through the altar in the temple. Isaiah knew he deserved judgment and so did his people for the rejection of God's law. But Isaiah received forgiveness and atonement for his sins. And it is then in verse 8 that the Lord asks, Who shall I send? Who will go for us? Isaiah then offers himself as a messenger to bring God's word to his people. And finally, this message that Isaiah is commissioned to bring to his people is a message of both judgment and a call to repentance. 
The message that Isaiah is bringing to God's people is that because of their hardness of heart, their blindness, their deafness, God's judgment is coming. Even more precisely, according to verse 10, Isaiah's message is going to reveal the conditions of their hearts and their ears and their eyes as spiritually unresponsive to God. Maybe we can say it this way. God's message of judgment is going to reveal the true conditions of people's heart towards God. So in essence, Isaiah's message is going to bring further clarity to to their posture towards God. We might even say that God's word of judgment here in Isaiah, verse 10 of Isaiah 6, is securing their judgment. As I mentioned in the introduction, God's word is effective in bringing to pass what it proclaims. Now, there's much more that could be said about Isaiah's prophetic ministry, and in fact, it would be a great study, I haven't done it, to work through um, Mark and Isaiah. These two seemed very related in my study. That would be a fantastic study for those that like Isaiah and the Gospel of Mark. But God's word of judgment was going to secure judgment because God's word of judgment was not going to be heeded by Israel and Judah. In other words, God's word would would reveal the true condition of people's hearts, eyes, and ears. So back to our text and the purpose that Jesus gives for speaking in parables, so that they may indeed see but not perceive and may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. What Jesus means when he says he is speaking in parables to those on the outside is that the parables themselves reveal the hardness of heart, the blindness and the deafness of those that are not on the inside. Jesus opens and closes the parable of the sower with an exhortation to hear. And in in fact, in our passage, uh, the word hear or listen is used nine times. It may not be clear in the English text, but nine times this noun or verb to hear or to listen is used in these 20 verses. Which leaves us with a follow-up question. Who is on the inside and who's on the outside? If you were here for my previous sermon, you probably remember that Mark makes it clear that the insiders are those who do the will of God. We saw that in Mark chapter 3, verse 35. In other words, One's biological relationship to Jesus or one's genetic relationship to Abraham, like the religious leaders boasted in, did not secure their salvation. It was their posture towards Christ and their obedience to God that revealed their relationship to God. So the purpose of the parables, according to Jesus, reveal the true realities of people's hearts, ears, and eyes towards God, through the concealed message of parables. And it is this reality of our need for God's divine work in our life that I, like Lauren last week mentioned, we get a bit uncomfortable when we talk about receiving Christ into our hearts. The point of Jesus speaking in parables was to reveal just how hard-hearted we are prior to the Holy Spirit opening our hearts to the person and work of Christ. Parables show us that we do not have any spiritual senses in and of ourselves. Parables show us our need for Christ to unfold the mystery of the kingdom in our hearts. 
Jesus did not use parables to bring his point home or to better illumine his main point. Jesus used parables to conceal his message to those who are on the outside, pronounce judgment on those who have rejected God. Yet, with the same word and the same message was an offer to repent. For some, the message carried no spiritual significance, caused no inquiry into the meaning of the parables. Yet for others and for us, we respond to Christ's exhortation to hear, and we press into Christ for revelation. We should notice in verses, uh, verse 10 and verse 11 of Mark chapter 4 that even his disciples did not understand initially the parables. Everyone hearing the parables is in the same spiritual cloudiness. No one understands these parables. Christ is revealing the condition of everyone's spiritual senses. Jesus actually physically displays this spiritual reality in Mark chapter 8, verses 22 through 26, when Jesus lays his hands on the blind man twice. The first time Jesus puts his hands on his eyes, his eyes are opened. He says he sees people, but they look like trees. The second time Jesus puts his hands on him, he's able to see clearly. Even the disciples are initially blind and deaf. It's in verse 11, however, that we are given hope despite this reality that no one understands the parables. Jesus says in verse 11 that the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to them. Who is them in our context? It is those who have approached Christ, asked him and asked him about the, par the parables. It's in private that Christ unpacks only to those who recognize their deafness the parable. In fact, Jesus says in verse 13 that understanding the parable of the sower provides a framework or paradigm for understanding all the parables. What we need to see from verse 11 is that the purpose of the parables was to reveal those who were on the inside and those who were on the outside. It also needs to be said that those who approached Christ for an interpretation of the parables, that the secret of the kingdom was given to them. They did not arrive at the spiritual nature of this parable or arouse their own spiritual senses. The secret of the kingdom was granted to them. Now that we've answered the question, what was the purpose of parables, we need to answer the question, what this parable is teaching. This parable is about right hearing. Now on one level, every single person with ears can hear this parable. We understand the features of this parable. We understand the word picture, even if we're not Middle Eastern farmers. We understand basic farming principles and would not argue with how the seeds respond to different soils. So on one level, the parable is describing a reality or, or, or situation that is not controversial. We're given a clue from Jesus in verses 3 and 9 that there is a call or exhortation to hear or listen Jesus is calling his hearers to listen. There is a type of listening that Jesus is encouraging. The parable is framed with the need to listen. Some commentators pointed this back to the Shema in Deuteronomy chapter 6. This is why the answer to the question, what is the parable about, is right hearing. Jesus is exhorting us to listen at the beginning and at the end of this parable. 
But we should be asking now, what kind of listening is Christ calling his hearers to? And we get the answer to this question when Jesus unpacks and explains the parable to those that approached him when he was alone. Jesus explains that the word is the seed and that, condition, and that the condition of the soil is what determines the outcome of the seed. So let's take a moment to look at the types of soil that are represented in this parable. The first soil that is mentioned is the path. The path would have been hard, beaten down, nearly impenetrable. Jesus says the path is where Satan takes away the word from the hearers that are on the path. The second type of soil that is mentioned is rocky ground. Unlike the path, it's not smooth, it's rocky and unstable, and not able to be traveled on, but also not able to grant the type of condition for deep-rooted growth. This is a shallow soil, which will not allow for the roots to sustain the seed to maturity. There's no consistency with this soil. So as we see in verse 17, the soil allows for some immediate growth and some endurance, but when tribulation or persecution comes and they fall away. So I hope at this point you're seeing the spiritual nature of this parable. Satan has been mentioned, persecution, tribulation on account of the word or seed. The parable is not really about agriculture. This is why Jesus was telling the crowd to listen. The next soil that's mentioned in this parable is yet, again, not pure. It is full of thorns and thistles. The seed has some initial growth, but because of the thorns and the weeds, the seed or the word is choked out and does not produce fruit. These thorns and thistles are the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things. Then finally, we have the seed that is planted in the good soil and bountiful amount of fruit is produced. We're not explicitly told what, what this fruit is, but I'll make a couple comments about this in a moment. So the final soil brings the seed to maturity and allows the seed to produce food and more seed. Production and replication is what the seed was made to do. It was the condition of the soil that either hindered or enabled the growth and fruit production. So Jesus tells us that the soil represents our ears. He says in verse 20, but those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit. The good soil is hearing that produces fruit. Right hearing does not stop in the audible connection between our ears and our brain that put sounds together and sentences and ideas. Jesus is talking about a hearing that looks like a production of fruit. Hearing that is grounded in God's word and not mixed with other things. It is a pure hearing, untainted by other people or things or conditions. It is a lasting hearing. It is not in one ear and out the other. It is a hearing that brings change, maturity, production, and fruit. So as we consider these soils, which soil describes you? For some, this might be the first time you're actually hearing God's word. It has been snatched up before by Satan. 
Maybe most of your life, the soil of your ears has been beat down like the path by the course of this life and sin. God's word has played no part in your life. And in fact, there has never been any roots established. Some of you right now are hearing the word of God and joy is welling up in your hearts and maybe others have heard it previously, but that joy has faded. And for some here, your soil is mixed with stones or the cares of this world and your roots are weak and you might even feel like you're being choked or your growth feels stunted and there's been no fruit produced upon hearing God's word. For some here, for some, there might be this lingering question, like, what is the word? (laughs) What is this parable calling us to respond to? Or, what if the soil of my ears are hard, rocky, and full of thorns? I believe this text gives us the answer in two parts. The first is modeled by the disciples in this text. The disciples recognize their inability to hear the parable rightly, so they turn to Christ. The second part of the answer is in Jesus' use of Isaiah 6 and in verse 12 of our text, which is our need for forgiveness or healing. The disciples are not able to understand the parable without Christ. And the root cause of of their deafness is their sin. Just as Isaiah needed to be cleansed in the presence of God, so did God's people. They couldn't hear and they couldn't see because they loved their sin and would not repent. This passage and parable teach us that we need to turn to Christ for spiritual ears, a spiritual understanding, and forgiveness. For some here, the the seed of the word is bouncing along on a hard path, only to be scooped up by the birds and Satan. For some, this word is mixed in with stones and thorns that will choke it out because the threats of persecution or the desire of earthly wealth and success, which which will in the end impede the seed from producing any fruit. And then there are those right now that are hearing this parable and this teaching and holding on to Christ even tighter, recognizing their need for Christ tending to the soil of their ears, removing the rocks, pulling the weeds, resolving to flee from the sin that they're living in and turn and trust in Christ, who has begun a good work in their heart and will bring it to completion. They have a desire to produce fruit. We must notice in verse 11 that the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to Jesus' disciples. We must understand that the secret does not originate from man, and man does not have the authority to uh, disclose the secret. Jesus said to his disciples, it has been given. The secret of the kingdom originates with God and it is opened by God's decree. The divine right of Jesus to proclaim the secrets of the kingdom is modeled throughout the gospel of Mark. When he is commanding people after miraculous signs, wonders, healings, miracles, There are times he says to the demons, and he's silencing them. Even those that were healed, he's telling them to be quiet. Don't tell anybody. This leads to our final question. What is the secret of the kingdom? Let me start by unpacking a few realities that I see from this text, 
what this text teaches us about the kingdom secret, and then we'll bring in some other passages from the scripture that bring clarity to this secret or mystery. So there's six of these, I think, that I see in the text. The secret is spiritual. I've mentioned this already, but we see this reality in how Jesus unpacks the meaning of the parables for his disciples. Number two, the secret is knowable. Number three, Jesus is willing and able to unpack the secret of the kingdom. Number four, the kingdom has a people. There are those that are outside the kingdom, and there are those that are inside the kingdom. The kingdom is opened by the word of God and advanced by the word of God. We see this in the fruit-producing nature of God's word for those that belong to the kingdom. This kingdom secret, this is the last one, number six, the kingdom secret is about seeing God in Christ. As we consider Mark as a whole, I mentioned earlier in the sermon that the whole book of Mark serves to support the claim that Jesus is the Son of God and that Jesus is also the suffering servant promised about in Isaiah 53. And after, P and after Peter right, uh, rightly confesses that Jesus is the Messiah in Mark chapter 8, verse 30, he's rebuked three verses later because Peter did not understand that Jesus, the Messiah, was also the suffering servant who would pay for the sins of his people. So according to Mark, the secret of the kingdom is that the Son of God would die for his people and rise again. Paul also brings in another attribute to this secret of the mystery of the kingdom in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 4, 5, and 6, which is that the gospel... The good news of the kingdom includes Jews and Gentiles. The gospel is for the whole world. It is not only for those biologically related to Jesus. It's not for the religiously zealous or those that can trace their biological lineage to Abraham. The gospel is a universal message of God's reign and the need for reconciliation to the king. The mystery of the gospel and of this kingdom is that is, it is one both of judgment and salvation, just as the purpose of the parables point to. God in Christ has come, and everyone everywhere is called to repent and believe the gospel. And we see this explicitly in Mark chapter 1, verse 15. The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. We see the invasion of God's kingdom on this broken world with a message of peace, a message of good news. And that is supported throughout the various physical healings and spiritual freedom that Jesus is leaving in his wake throughout the gospel. So the secret of the kingdom, as we would see in, this, uh, in other parables, in Mark chapter 4 even, is that it is here now. It is growing and advancing, and soon it will be like the mustard tree that becomes larger than all the other plants in the garden. The secret of the kingdom is that God has tabernacled among us in the person of his son Jesus, and he is calling people to himself. The fullness of time has come. Restoration and reconciliation is happening and is possible through Jesus. 
So notice in the last verse of our passage, the exponential factor of the fruit that comes from the seed in the good soil. There is glorious return when the seed of God's word is sown in our hearts. Let me close with some application. For those that are trusting in Christ, are you bearing fruit? If you have received the secret of the kingdom, has the word bore fruit in your life? Has there been fruit that is unexplainable apart from the glorious work of God? Which causes us to have a right hearing of his word. And then maybe a a secondary application to this one. How does your fruit taste? Would others around you affirm your assessment of your fruit? It must also be mentioned that the parable points to good soil producing a bountiful crop. For those trusting in Christ, our stalks and trees ought to be full of fruit. The second one here, by way of application. If you're not able to discern any fruit in your life, you need to assess the contents of your soil. Is it full of rocks and thorns? What are you pursuing in your life right now that is pulling you from a right response to God's word? For some, that may mean not leaving here today without repenting and turning to Christ. For others, that might look like pursuing baptism. It might also mean for the true believer that you need to tend to the garden. You have let the deceitfulness of riches creep in. You have let the fear of persecution and tribulation stunt your growth. There are some here that need to use God's word like a shovel and dig out the rocks and weeds to let the word of God sow in righteousness. Let me close with a few verses from Isaiah 55. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God and he will abundantly pardon The parable of the sower is about rightly hearing, responding, and obeying the word of God. The secret of the kingdom is divinely granted to those that turn to Christ and repent. The secret is that the Son of God is also the suffering servant who would take away the sins of his people and that God's word will stand and it will go forth to accomplish all of God's purposes. God is declaring peace with us by the blood of his Son, God is a gracious king who has established his son on the throne forever. And one day this kingdom will be the only kingdom standing. Let's pray. Father, I I must confess, I don't live in light of this reality as I ought. There is tending to the soil that is needed. There are cares of the world that creep in. There are things that choke out. fruit, growth. Father, we need your spirit to cleanse our eyes and ears and hearts 
as we, as we wrestle against our flesh and against sin. We thank you for sending Jesus, who has opened the secret of the kingdom to us, in that you will make all wrongs right, either in hell or by way of the cross. You've, you're offering peace to us. You have offered peace to us in Christ through the Spirit. May we live out that peace in a way that produces righteousness in the world. May it cause us to bring the gospel to our neighbors, to our families, to our coworkers, to everyone you've put in our lives, because this kingdom will be the only kingdom that's standing. Thank you for your word in Jesus' name. Amen.